0: Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining the Great Dynamics Podcast. My name is Ahmed Hassan, and today, as always, we have a very illustrious guest, one that I've been aiming to talk to for a very long time. Today, we have as our guest, H.I. Sutton, a.k.a. Covert Shores. And for people that follow Hossind, that are interested in anything Naval, they definitely should know him. So, H.I. Sutton writes about the secretive and underreported submarines seeking out unusual and interesting vessels and technologies involved fighting beneath the waves, submarines, capabilities, naval, special forces, underwater vehicles, bit of a mouthful, and a changing world of underwater warfare and seabed warfare. To do this, he combines the latest open source intelligence with traditional art and science of defense analysis. He occasionally writes non fiction books on these topics and draws analysis-based illustrations which are awesome to bring the subject to life. In addition, uh, H.S. Sutton is a naval history buff a Data Geek. His personal website about these topics is COVID Shores. As I mentioned, we will share all of uh, H.S. Sutton's socials and website. Welcome. Thank you. So, for me, my my, my first encounter with you or with your work was the illustration. And I would love to know more about what's that process like. How long does that take you? Because it seems like a very labor-intensive work, creating these elaborate uh, cross sections of subs and, and and other naval vessels. Yeah, could you yeah, yeah maybe go into that? Yeah, it, it it takes
1: many hours for sure. It's as people who follow me know, a lot of it's done in MS Paint. My tool of choice and that's not the fastest tool and it's not the most advanced tool clearly um i there's certain things i like about it and and there's there's i think plenty of good reasons at least because it drives other people crazy but you know i yeah have a, a background in in art let's say at least part so that's something i can do and i just use that tool but the you know the biggest part of it is the research it it sometimes takes tens of hours not because of you know clicking pixels but because I'm trying to illustrate something that I've only got f- sometimes photographs sometimes not the best photographs sometimes I'm actually do some guesswork and I try to make it clear you know from the artistic style how much confidence you have in different things parts of it and I'm not trying to be um it's not like a schematic or anything I'm not competing for accuracy I'm trying to capture the the salient parts of the design, the relevant things, and the interesting things, and emphasise the things that, from an analytical and engineering perspective, are a bit interesting. But the I do a lot of cutaways. That's mainly on my website. I sometimes use them on on articles for online magazines. So, well, media news is probably a better way of describing it. But naval news and the US Naval Institute. But recently, I've been able to use more artistic impressions seascapes with you know boats on them and things it allows me to have a drawing or an illustration when a photograph is not available or when i want to protect sources and it's actually somewhat inspired by the 1980s the cold war visuals that the u.s department of defense and other u.s, US military used to put out and they were awesome Works much better than mine i'll say but part of the reason they did that was to protect the sources and now sometimes you can see the illustration you can see the photograph they got it from but at the time they didn't want to publish the photograph you can do it a little bit like that and and then the ability to do cutaways is is quite a good analytical process as well especially around submarines we're talking about looking at the outside of the submarine trying to figure out what's on the inside at least in the material sense and all every hatch, every line on the outside of that submarine gives you a clue as to the inside of the submarine. So we're trying to use informed guesses. It's never gonna be a hundred percent, but try to get inside that submarine and that's what becomes a, a cutaway. Fascinating.
0: I mean, uh, hearing you talk about it, it seems like, you know, it's a thing that you do. I I find it very impressive. Is there a project that, that you've done or that you thought was like either most challenging your biggest coup let's say that that you that you are very proud of yeah
1: there's quite a few answers there because there's been a lot of them there's probably been over a hundred cutaways i'm guessing i mean someone add them up i might might be miscounting, but a lot and there's some really good ones which i haven't yet published in fact quite a backlog the obscure submarines the there's some I like just because of artistic reasons. There's some I like just because the design's interesting. I think the Typhoon is by far the most popular one I ever drew. It's one of the first I did. And I did it for I'll be honest, partly for SEO reasons. I thought if I've got the drawing of just if I yeah, I've got the skill to draw it, what submarine should I draw? What do people Google Typhoon class? That's the biggest submarine in the world. At the time I did it, there were no schematics since then there have been schematics available and things so i could have done it much better if i drew it now but um and i'm more practiced but i'm not going to change it because it's been out there for many years i don't know more than five years i I can't remember when i drew it but that's probably the one that's the one i put on t-shirts that's the one that you know it's it sticks but it's not necessarily the best draw and it's not necessarily the best project the biggest or the most complex one, in a sense, has been the Belgrade, which is a pretty impressive Russian submarine that's been built. And I started doing the cutaways before it had been launched, based on guesswork of what we had. And I'll be honest, I got it quite wrong. So every time we get a better image, and it's taken years, you you know, you get a better image, you go and update the, the analysis. And the, frankly, they built it in a way that I wouldn't have yeah, you can, it's easy to say, well, if we were building, designing a submarine sitting here in the podcast, we'd do it differently. Why did they do that? Why did it? But um, it's been an interesting journey. And I know at one point I actually put all the cutaways together to see the evolution of our understanding of the submarine, which is was interesting in itself. But it's also people rip them off all the time. So you see me in magazine and they tend to use the oldest versions for some reason. So that's another reason to keep updating things because... People will point out and say, oh, you got that wrong. It's like what they might not be realizing is that they have the benefit of information that wasn't available when I did that, you know. Um, so I try to keep things updated. That's a roundabout
0: answer. Typhoon, if I had to put just one. All right. And you, you touched upon the, the bell growth. Do you get pushback from figures online, maybe state figures? Like why are you doing this and you shouldn't be doing this? or No. Not really. Not that I listen to anyway. Not, I've done a few
1: historic Western submarines, uh, US Navy ones, ones that are quite controversial. The, you know, US Navy spy submarines. And since Blind Man's Bluff came out, which is quite a well-known book, book if you haven't read it, they sort of closed ranks a little bit, not to, not to have that out there. Having said that, I definitely haven't felt an overall negative impact on it from the cutaways no one really cares i'm not accurate enough to to bother anyone that much and in fact people seem to like them to be honest you among the submariner community as far as i'm aware they're generally appreciated people will always like to tell you it's wrong and they know something you don't know but that's that comes with the territory right i'm fine with that it's probably true
0: for sure i mean we've had those conversation like oh, maybe you shouldn't have that up or you know maybe you should change that but i think you know if, if it's in public domain then anybody can use it yeah it's the,
1: the graphics much less so the articles that's more of an issue and i it's not been any major or rather there it's not being there's not been examples where we've annoyed the people we don't want to annoy and there has been examples where it annoys surprising people. I don't, I don't want to list them. That wouldn't be wise. But you know, you can you write something that is factual, and you've got people who've got a vested interest in denying it, even though it's factual, and they seek you out. And that's a pain in the backside. But overall, there's definitely been articles I regret because I got something wrong, or worse than that, where you chase the audience too much, and you think that's not the article I'm proud of. That's not the thing I want to write. You know, but they're few and far between. So overall I think we're getting it right and as of yet we haven't I haven't had the official Secrets Act or anything like that around a submarine. It hasn't yeah, definitely it's gonna happen.
0: Fair enough. I wanted to talk to you also about USVs or uncrewed service vehicles. Mm-hmm. And before we go into it, I don't think it was you because I would have known. But and maybe if it was, please correct me. But from the discourse, the Ukrainian unmanned drone bomb, whatever we wanna call it, that struck the, the Russia ships, it's being touted as a complete game changer. Is that is that the case? And maybe it's a it's a two part question, you know, what's the fuss about USVs and and is it such a game changer? I think I'd be
1: wary of the the actual words game changer, but I would and I have I have written she so probably yeah, I have written a few articles. I'm not sure if proceeding, Yeah, U.S. Naval Institute press have a proceedings sort of a section where I've definitely written words to the effect. I think it is a big deal, a really big deal. There's a little bit of confirmation bias here. It is the realization of what a lot of defense analysts have been talking about and a lot of navies have been talking about for quite a while. But there's a few interesting points about it. And the first one is that it has been a huge strategic success, even though... These drones, they, I mean, people, broadly, people are calling them maritime drones. What we're talking about is a USV, it's an uncrewed service vessel. So it's a boat without any people on it. And this has been an area of research for quite a while. And the Royal Navy, the US Navy, and pretty much every Navy, Chinese Navy have tons of them. You can even buy them on Alibaba. There's lots of designs for lots of things of different size. Some of them are ships, you know, are, are large boats. Pretty rare, but China and America have those, and some of them are tiny. But although there has been examples, particularly in Yemen, of remote-controlled ones being used to attack ships, so as explosive boats, which is a sort of a category of previously special forces or or terrorists, depending on who builds them, but sort of spray special boat, which was used typically high speed. To attack another ship, and there, there have been remote control examples before, but the level of sophistication of these, the level of use of them, and the strategic impacts has been so much more. The Russian Navy has actually changed its behaviours, its its position in Sevastopol, particularly, and now also Novorolisk in on the other side of the Black Sea. And anyone who speaks Russian will, you know, just overlook my my terrible pronunciations, yeah. You know but the russian navy has basically put itself up in port and changed physically changed the defences and the defensive procedures around its bases which have been observed and i you know people had been looking at these defences from day 1 and one of the observations was that until recently the russian navy didn't operate sevastopol all that differently to in peacetime they did put dolphins there that was an interesting thing so that that guards against combat swimmers so you know underwater you know divers with special forces sort of applications but it doesn't guard against usvs and so boom defenses is what they use sort of physical barriers but also they escort boats they have helicopters flying around stuff like this and so it's been a huge success but the other interesting point about it which for me is the bigger deal is this is so obvious how they're using them is in some respects very obvious how they it's also there's a lot of ingenuity in the solutions and nothing to not take anything away from that but i think everyone very within five minutes says oh of course you know everyone expected this to put bombs on on essentially disposable not particularly survivable in themselves but very accessible boats with really long range high speed they have an explosive charge in principle they could they could sink a warship they're These particular ones have a problem with that, but they're going to overcome that. Clearly, Russians expect they will overcome that. But the key thing is that if you look at all the USV projects of every navy, there's actually none in the public domain that resemble this type of vessel in its actual role. The US Navy, I haven't counted them, but let's say 10, 15, more, probably 20, probably now 30, 40 different uncrewed service vessels that have been used to some extent experimentally, mostly experimentally, but some of them getting pretty close to service. And some of them actually in service. A huge number. All sizes, loads of roles, lots for ISR, so lots for intelligence and surveillance reconnaissance. Some some of them armed particularly defensively. So some of them with guns, cannons and things. None of them were being built as disposable offensive weapons. Just, that just was not on the list of any major Navy. And that's a wake-up call, I think. Maybe some people have been thinking about this, of course. And I think now everyone will say they were thinking about this. But where is the US Navy? Where's the Royal Navy project for an equivalent design? It's not, it's not there yet. I think that's the learning it should be.
0: I mean, it's the necessity that, that forced the Ukrainians and it kind of like became a test bed for all kinds of technologies and, and some like jerry rig solution. Mm-hmm. What have, outside of the, the USV usage, what has surprised you most so far? That's a very good question. There's been some very good.
1: I think the Ukrainians are are very good. Uh, finding ways to to affect the uh, the Russian Navy, in particular, in my context, but the Russians in general. It really reminds me of World War Two and the British OSS and uh, SOE. Sorry for British and OSS for America. That ingenuity that comes from desperation, and sometimes, you know, some if for some militaries at some points, it's not always been successful. Particularly the German and and uh, later Japanese in in World War Two. That desperation created desperate devices but there's a difference these ones are being quite effective the biggest the biggest surprise was not so much an individual technology but an outcome it really surprised me when they retook snake island i didn't see that coming it surprised me more that the russians withdrew but that they were able to that was something that i think should be studied i certainly want to learn more about how it really happened and we got lots of information about it, but adding it up and saying the Russians actually gave that up, it's insane. And of course, part of that is harpoon and, and potentially, you know, an artillery and stuff like that. But it's still surprising they didn't just hang on for their life for, for as long as they could. Clearly, they could have stayed longer, whether that was days or weeks, hard to say. But um, the other surprise I think is 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 actually not so much of it it shouldn't it's less of a surprise, but it's again a wake up, and that is the use of small, cheap commercial drones with bombs and we've seen this from isis we've seen this you know this is not necessarily new, but it is um becoming so normal that again we should be looking and Western militaries, especially when it comes to buying expensive kit, do we trust our our own forces to not over specify this stuff and you end up with an incredibly expensive not you know you have 10 of these drones or something it's like no you need huge numbers and it doesn't really matter if they're subject you know susceptible to jamming if they're you know there's there's they're far from perfect but they're changing the battlefield Um, and i think they might change trench warfare and if they did that that could be a big deal because right now we're going into a new mode of trench warfare as russians are on defensive and and so, on. so because the precision that they provide, versus you know, is uh, is very very useful. So that's a bit of a predictable answer, really. I'm sure there's other stuff out there that would be really interesting that after the war we'll be dissecting.
0: A one that I wanted to to ask you about is, it seems like, and obviously, special operations are, and covert action in general is is hidden by design. But I find it interesting that. The use of frogmen, it seems almost like Western militaries are looking at the Ukrainians and saying, oh, right, that still exists and that's still a thing because we, we focused on the war on terror. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I see you squinting. <laughs> but what's your opinion on that? they I mean, the Ukrainian armed forces have
1: naval special forces with what you could call frogmen. And they're—you I, yeah, I, I would suspect that they're being Western-trained and Western-equipped before the the conflict and were unknown units and i can't remember the exact name of it but actually i think i've written the name they, they are a known unit they also do lots of small boat stuff how useful frogmen are is an interesting question you know i i've actually given talks there's in uk there's a historic diving society which is really interesting uh they've got a museum that def, definitely needs support down I'm trying to think where it's it's near it's uh I think it's near Portsmouth by memory or Southampton. I, I I should know, but it's just missed it. But they, it's really interesting talking to these guys. They've they're actually got all branches of the military. And in particular, you've got clearance drug dives. So bomb disposal, still very relevant. You've got combat swimmers, SBS in the UK sense mainly, but equivalents around the world. And these, these Ukrainians we're talking about are equivalent, SBS, Special Boat Service. The question i had these guys as i was thinking about it is actually the significance of historical diversity in their museum is that in many respects this is something that is old-fashioned and gonna remove that the royal navy and other western navies are emphasizing clearance divers less and less and this is not something that the clearance divers are happy about or believe in and yeah there's this whole debate there but where are robots being used for we talked about uncrewed service vessels and uncrewed underwater vehicles as well where are they being used? One of the first applications, mine warfare. This overlaps with combat swimmers. Why would you use combat swimmers? You know, are they still valid? I think if if I'm objective, I'd say the answer is they're going to be less and less valid in future. The, However, the Ukrainians have a strong history of it back from Soviet times, and those units still exist, and they're highly capable, and they're elite troops, and not to take anything away from them, they might be doing some incredible covert stuff that we don't know about i i think they've got the capability it's very valid they could make great use of it whether it's the future is open to debate and i'm not trying You know, i'm sure this is the one thing i say that people might not not like me for but i'm um, very interested in those technologies
0: the humans in the loop are, uh, are the tomorrow's weakness we did a big article on Ukrainian soft. So anybody interested, check it out. Something a little bit different. One of the one of the things that that I really was interested about, uh what you produced are narco subs Mm. and the information on, on, on narco subs and the state of the art. Yeah, could you go in a little bit about that? Yeah. So narco
1: submarines, narco subs, I mean it's a colloquial term. Most of them are just very low profile vessels. But they're purpose-built or purpose-modified, at least, vessels that attempt to use stealth to to smuggle cocaine or any other high-value thing. But it's nearly always cocaine in reality. And most of them are operating between Colombia and Mexico. But you get some slight, very you know, some slight alternative routes in in Latin America, and some have turned up in Spain. And they are interesting designs, I think there is a sort of a a certain respect for the builders designers at least up to a point they are incredible engineers and they're coming up with some very smart designs that again navies could learn something from the standard of the individual vessels is is rarely up to naval standards but yeah that's that's part of this how smart they are you know they they don't enjoy it, over-engineer it there's been many more than people realize so when when one reaches does reach the western media it's always got novelty people increasingly interested i'm glad to say because i used to write about them when no one seemed to care but they're relatively recent they there are examples in the 90s but really it became a thing in like 2005 six and some years you get 10 found some years you get two found recent years it's really shot up they've they've been sort of interdicting 30 40 a year if you extrapolate this, most of them get through because otherwise they wouldn't keep doing it. Also, the, the payload's got smaller for a period of time. It's actually got bigger again. I think COVID had a impact on that, but clearly most get through. Otherwise, they wouldn't be bothering. I would say conservative estimate: a thousand have been built, and this is a you yeah, know this is a pretty eye opening number. People think of them as novel. I'm saying no. There must be a thousand built because if you've in, I've got a database of every reported one that I'm aware of anyway, which is over two hundred now, and and that's going back to nineties. But there's only a handful in nineties, and so you get a pattern. Their designs really interesting. There's lots about them. I definitely come at them from a defense analysis perspective, quite a distant perspective. I'm interested in particular in the variation of design and the ability to sort of guess good confidence that two individual narco subs were actually built by the same person or at least designed by the same person and including and this is the most interesting one there's one particularly unusual set of designs and they've got certain features that are different from others every design every designer has like their signature they choose to do things not always in the best way, but in a particular way, and then they replicate it, it works. And this usually the way they do the windows, the way where the hatch opens forwards, backwards, the, the air vents, the, the mundane stuff, but they just have a, a way of designing it. And so this fingerprint appeared on some submarines in Colombia that were going up to Mexico, and they were the biggest and most impressive of that their type. The only one that combines being a very slender vessel with an internal motor that's ever been found. What's interesting is the one that turned up in Spain that we know had gone all the way across the Atlantic, and that's that's a big story itself, that was designed by the same guy that built ones in the Pacific that were going up to Mexico. I'm reasonably confident that's the same family because of these unusual design choices that other people just make a different choice. It's getting harder and harder to identify them because I think there's a new generation change, or at least my guess is that those designers of a few years ago are either retiring or being arrested or whatever and the apprentices are taking over and they're the people who are taking over i'm guessing just learn how to build narco subs not by learning how to build boats and then applying it but actually building narco subs so the designs are getting cruder copies let's say and it's diluting the the, the family trees of these vessels but it's a interesting topic and, and let's say the the eye-opening thing is, it's much more. There's many more of them being built and used than than people could really imagine. Over a thousand, easily. Very
0: interesting. I've, I think most people have seen the the spectacular coast guard video where uh, the officer like jumps from the boats on top of the starts smashing on top of <laughs> the hatcher, which is like almost like out of a movie. But I I I, I think it's super interesting, and I, I keep switching topics from very desperate places but what i also wanted to talk to you about is the arctic we're doing now i think we did it last year for the first time and we got some some good feedback and we're doing a whole arctic week where we're looking at all the arctic council members and from from analytic perspective but also like what are topics that are so ongoing and like fiber optics and seabed warfare, all these things are what we are hearing about in the Arctic. So I would love to hear your opinions and your analysis on that.
1: Yeah, the, the Arctic is another topic that's become a bit more mainstream or a, a, a greater awareness, a bit of a hotter topic in the last few years, particularly Russia's attitude to the Arctic and its military forces there and its efforts to remilitarize the, the Arctic. On the submarine front, which is where where I focus, the interesting thing there is that their main seabed warfare capability is based in the Arctic, at least the covert stuff. And so the large host submarines or mother submarines, as you might want to call them basically these giant, and they are among the largest submarines in the world, they've got a fleet of them and they can go out and deploy another submarine. That's why we call them host submarines. They deploy another one which can dive really deep. Uh, it's also nuclear powered. These are larger submarines than anything the Royal Navy has. In fact, larger than anything the US Navy has actually. And their purpose is spy. They can be used defend. They, they can be used to support their own infrastructure and you know listening devices and potentially oil and gas as well things like this. But they can be used defensively. And in peacetime, they do a lot of in- intelligence type work. And in wartime, it could be sabotage. It's an interesting capability. I'm not going to say that other navies don't have some of these capabilities, particularly in shallow water, but the Russians invest in it much more than other navies, even the U.S. Navy. And the U.S. Navy does have the USS Jimmy Carter, which I'm sure is a real box of tricks and very, very capable. But that's one submarine, not a fleet of submarines. And it's less extreme. The the Russians, even when their economy was at its worst in the 90s, the one thing they were, the one type of submarine that they were still building, was these special mission submarines for seabed warfare. And I think maybe in the future, with with underwater drones, so UUVs or AUVs, autom- autonomous underwater vehicles, or or uncrewed underwater vehicles, depending on what you want to choose to call them, the Russians might be behind on that in some respects. They are definitely definitely have them. They definitely can use them, but. Yeah, they're very invested in a 1970s model of how to do this. But it's still very impressive, and it's all based in the Arctic, and the Arctic is is their, their plaything. Another curious thing to mention, it's almost going off topic, but something really interesting happened a few months ago, and it's partly because of the war in Ukraine, but it's in the Arctic. They had a submarine, a conventional submarine, that they wanted to send to the Pacific. And the way they've done it in the past... Was to sail it through the Mediterranean on the surface. They would then do some some missions off Syria and stuff like this and deploy it. But then they would sail it from there to the, the Pacific on the surface as a transit run via you know via Singapore more or less you know through the Straits of Malacca and up past Hong Kong to Vladivostok. This year, for the first, I think it's the first time it's ever happened. Certainly in my awareness or memory. They actually sailed the submarine, a conventional submarine, the Northern Sea Route, and took it across the Arctic to Vladivostok. And now that means that they, partly it's global warming, but partly it's also their infrastructure and and willingness to do this, it means that in the future their pacific fleet and their northern fleet become a little bit more fungible and they can you know we we can't rely on say oh this submarine's being built for the pacific fleet it won't turn up in the atlantic i think that's a real thing to watch obviously their nuclear submarines can already do that because they can go under ice you know and so on but that's a significant thing that i think people didn't
0: you know didn't hear about do you remember that i think it was the 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 also just around the Ukraine uh, invasion where a Norwegian fiber optic cables were were damaged and they said that it was uh, a sub that was in a yacht. It was uh, operated from a yacht. Can you tell us more about that? I don't know if it's true or not, but that's what I read. Yeah,
1: I I don't know if it's true either and, and I wouldn't want to speculate too much on it, but I would be more than happy to talk about the feasibility of it. I think it's... In broad sense, it's very feasible. Yachts, we're talking motor yachts primarily, although sailing yachts, inferior, you know. And any boat can be used for covert clandestine missions. And in some respects, the less likely the vessel is, the better. But if you think about it, yachts are quite well suited, both in the way they normally operate, including ones that a lot of Russian ones or anyone, you know, one of the go-to places for yachting is actually Norway. It's not, it's, we're talking more, uh, I think, expedition yachting, you know, up to, you know, into the ice. There's some, it's not as popular as warmer, you know, the Mediterranean, and that. I'm not pretending it's, you know, it's there, but but there are Russian or anyone else's yachts up there. It's a lot of sailing yachts, actually. But motor yachts are an ideal platform for covert operations, and a lot of motor yachts do, legitimately have submersibles on them for tourist reasons and now the latest is rovs for tourist reasons i say tourist leisure so the late one of the latest gadgets and so yachts are a bit competitive i think they might get less competitive now that all the russian yeah the russians yachts have all been interned it might it it might dampen the yachting build but for the last 10 if you look at yachts today they're nothing like they were 30 years ago they're they're much bigger they're much better suited for covert missions. Yeah, they're, they've got hidden... Because it's all about looks and the experience. So they actually have hidden garages, they call them, but basically working decks close to the waterline that can be containing any vehicle that you wouldn't necessarily see. Probably does include submersibles, like crude ones. But the new toy is ROVs, and... These are less sexy than the crude submersibles, but it's for the guests who either don't fit in the crude submersibles or aren't so inclined or whatever they can go and play with an rov underwater drone rovs obviously the exact model and depth there's lots of there's lots of variables but rovs are one of the most useful things in seabed warfare, and so they're they're basically underwater vehicles that go down on a cable and there's, there's pros and cons and, and complications, but they can carry sonar and things to find stuff. They've got cameras and they can have manipulator arms that go and pick stuff up or place stuff or break stuff. You know. And so yachts, it's, it's very feasible. I don't, I'm not going to point at anyone yacht. I simply haven't been paying enough attention to it. it. I've been aware of it, obviously, but I've left it to, I think there is a lot of noise about it. So don't, you know, be careful not to go believe in conspiracy theories, but at the same time, it's pretty suspicious. And if you were going to do it, a yacht would be among the things you might use. And the same with the drones that have been flying around recently.
0: I wanted to, because it, it's another controversial one, the Russian Poseidon that can create these mega tsunamis. Uh, you've created some some designs on it, and it's very mysterious. And I would love to know more about it from you and and, and where you think the feasibilities are in in what is claimed. Are the Russians even capable of building something like that? So Poseidon, Poseidon's interesting
1: because when it first was first revealed, or first, there were hints about it before it was publicly revealed in sort of a controversial leak in, going by memory, November 2015 or 17, somewhere there. But um, it was already understood and had a NATO name, Canyon. But there was a lot of disbelief and a lot of incredulity at the details, the specifications and what was being said about. It. I I always believed it existed because we did know that submarines have been built to test extra large torpedoes, and that is expensive. I don't think that you do a ruse that Russia, especially with its economic situation. The Royal Navy doesn't have a test submarine. We can't afford it. Russia built a test submarine to with for launching oversized torpedoes and that that submarine is an incredibly expensive investment Um, but since then there's been more and more evidence so now we're at a point where no one's really doubts that it's real but we still doubt some of the information about it in particular i found that a lot of the information about tsunamis and 100 megatons and cobalt sorting and stuff was just russian media let's say nonsense made up stuff really early on and it's so that's I don't know if it was deliberate misinformation. I think it was just just bad reporting, uh, just as you get in the West. Russian media is not great on facts; it's just nonsense. They they picked out someone who talked about COBOL, and suddenly everyone thinks it's got COBOL. It's like if you look back, you could, as best I can track it, it came from this particular article. They were citing someone who they spelt their name wrong. It's someone who had died and was talking. They were just talking about academic papers, but whatever. It's better estimate is only two megatons, which is still bad enough probably does not create a tsunami, but that doesn't mean it's not a really bad day for whoever gets hit by it. I don't think we have to make stuff up about it to to realize it's a superweapon. The The question of whether they can build it, there's the the question we have now, I think, is their economic and industrial state going forward because of the war in Ukraine. I think they have the technology and the knowledge to, to build it. Yes, absolutely. They have the plans to build it because they're building submarines, um, the, Belgorod is one example, but there's there's other submarines they're building, whether they will be able to. But one way to look at it is if there is a significant economic downturn and Russia has to start prioritizing things, these wonder weapons like Poseidon are likely to be still on the list of what gets prioritized. It might not happen as fast as they want it to, but I think it's still there and I don't think you can discount it. But it's a really interesting weapon and for me, it's still a case that I mean, a lot of the information on the internet is from me, a lot of drawings. uh, I don't understand the weapon. I don't know why they built it. There's some straightforward ideas around missile defense and things like this. We know it was being planned decades ago. It's not like they built it yesterday. And so they're invested in some of that thinking, which may or may not still be relevant, but we don't really understand. And they present it as a multi-role a multi-purpose weapon that can also target aircraft carriers or other high-value tactical targets i suppose it's strategic but in a different sense that's a question can it really do that there's there's lots of there's lots of questions i don't think anyone knows about it and certainly you know the uh, the comment section on any social media is probably not where to find the wisdom on this
0: fair enough fair enough i understand you have to go and i, and I yeah. really appreciate you answering all these questions—it's incredibly fascinating. I, I wanted to talk to you also about BLA and and, and the situation in Taiwan, but we can oh. we can have that for another podcast, another, t- another uh, time, another yeah. time. Yeah, another time. And last question—is any recommendations on what you're reading, or what you're watching? It doesn't have to be in um, your domain, but yeah, that, that's a hard one
1: because I'm not great at remembering names. The—I mean, Preron, the guy—you know, the Australian guy who does defense analysis—is quite interesting. Not not hugely because I'm way behind with my books, and there are some or reading books. The on the Moskva, so the, the sinking of the cruiser Moskva, really interesting story. The by far the best analysis of it is on YouTube. Look for the Harpo- or the Admiralty trilogy and Chris Carlson. He does. He's got a video. You the video is not very obvious. You'll you'll probably find it if you're looking for it. But it's by far the best analysis of the sinking of the Moskva, and it's the one that everyone else should read and and listen to. Well, listen to because it's a on YouTube before before they make up their own theories. Yeah, that's the that's my recommendation. That that video deserves a lot more reads, uh, views.
0: All right, thank you so much. I'm, I'll put all your social media and where people can find you. I'll put that in the show notes. And uh, again, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. And I hope to speak to you very soon. You've got some brilliant podcasts, so cheers very much for having me on. Take care. All right, no problems.
1: Thank you.